0: You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach.
1: Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and I'm here to tell you I'm not having another socially distanced meal in 2020. I tried it twice this week. Okay, that's a big social week. That's enough socializing for me, but It was too cold. I I mean, we sat in the sun when we could. When the sun left, it was time to go. It's like the early days before electricity and heat. That's it. It's too cold. Get this, the mask, the glasses, the gloves, the food, the spoon, my hair, the hat. It's too cold. Much. It is too much. I love catching up with friends in person. Even if you can't hug them or touch them, there's still something wonderful about it. It's not happening. It's weird to think about that. It's weird to think about, you know, that's it for the year. Anyway, I want to say that I can live with it. If you hear me complaining about staying indoors, just hit me because it's not a hardship. And I know that. And I want to put it in proper perspective. You know what I do? I have books to read. I have clutter to clean. Basically, what that means is I'm thinking maybe six or seven piles of New Yorkers that I have not read that I will try to read very fast or throw out. And it means listening to podcasts. And by the way, if you listen to this podcast and you even enjoy it, it would mean so much to me if you would rate it, rate it very high on the websites that say, what do you think of this? Give it as many stars as there are. Because the more stars we have, the more listeners we get. And the more listeners we get, the more it's likely that we can stay on the air. Now I know how they felt at WBAI. That's a really inside New York reference. Or at PBS. It's like, a it's not a fundraiser. It's, Just a way to get known and getting known helps us get better guests. And then one day I'll be trying to sell you a tote bag. Just wait and see because everybody wants merch. Also, subscribe. If you're listening for the first time, subscribe. It's very easy, it doesn't cost anything. And then you can just look at the whole backlog of interesting, smart people who I've had the pleasure to talk to on this podcast. Okay. Before I tell you about my five things that make my life better this week, I want to tell you about our guest. Her name is Dr. Bandy Lee, and I first became aware of her on Twitter. She is a psychiatrist, by the way, and an expert on violence, who is also the president of the World Mental Health Coalition. For several years now, Dr. Lee has been tweeting about the really frightening mental disability of Donald Trump. She has been wanting us to understand what a um, short attention span, self-involved, immature, highly defensive guy he is. It's not good, by the way. There's a pathy after it. And she even edited a book called The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 37 Psychiatrists and Mental Health Experts Assess a President. By the way, that's published by Macmillan, and it's been on the New York Times bestseller list. Dr. Lee has taught at both the Yale Schools of Medicine and Law, and I feel very lucky that she joined us and shared her list as well. Okay, here are my five things that make life better. Number one, noodles. Okay, you can call them noodles. That's what we call them with the baby. You can call it pasta. When I was growing up, we called it spaghetti. Now we call it pasta. Call it lo mein, call it udon. Whatever it is, whatever cuisine, may they be made with eggs, without eggs, with artichokes, without, with durum, with wheat, with rice, potato, garbanzo beans. doesn't matter. But there is something so comforting and yummy about something wiggly that's got butter or tomato sauce or slivers of mushroom or pesto or just butter. It is a conveyance for butter. However I have it, it always makes me happy or they always make me happy. And I eat something wiggly with sauce several times a week. Number two, Elected officials, many of them Republicans, who are not folding over and doing the illegal things that Trump and his sycophants are asking them to do. For example, hats off to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensberger, a Republican who voted for Trump but would not overturn the election in Georgia. And then there's the noble Gabriel Sterling, an elections off, uh, official in Georgia, who said, Enough is enough. And Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, another Republican who called Trump's insistence on overturning the election in Pennsylvania unacceptable. Okay, that's not even a high bar to have Republicans who know what to do and to do the honorable and correct and legal thing. But you know what? That's better than nothing. Three spines are better than no spines. Speaking of noodles. Number three, there's something that's been providing me with an internal giggle. You know, when that happens where you've seen something and you just, every time you think of it, you kind of smile, but you don't really want to explain it because you think if you explain it, you won't do it justice. Well, mine is about something I saw online called, it was a trailer for a movie, but not just any movie. No, it was a trailer for the Lifetime mini movie. That's what they called it. Starring Mario Lopez. That's already, I'm already kind of doubled over, right? It's Mario Lopez playing Colonel Sanders. Okay, now I can almost not sit still because I'm giggling and I'm afraid something is going to explode. This thing is called A Recipe for Seduction, which is premiering, as all major films do, at noon on December 13th. In case you wondered, this is an entertainment co-produced by Lifetime and Kentucky Fried Chicken. We all need a laugh. Watch this trailer immediately. I've already watched it 4 or 5 times and don't take my word for it, but you might find it funny. The acting? Uh-huh. Yeah, you got to watch it. I have a link to it on my website. Number 4. Hanukkah. It just started. When I was a child, of course it was my favorite Holiday of all the Jewish holidays because you get presents. In the old days, when I was a child, I would get a little present every night of the week, eight nights. Sometimes they were like a nice new pencil case, they weren't all so great, but you had to do something to compensate for the fact that you didn't have a tree. Anyway, I'm being cynical. I loved it in the olden days. Sit back and listen to grandma. In the olden days, FAO Schwartz had a giant holiday catalog. I guess it was like the Sears catalog or Neiman Marcus. It was the thing. And my brothers and I would fight over it and we would circle things and dog ear it and basically tell our parents what to buy us. It was great. Anyway, it's Hanukkah. And I had to send my presents to my exhibits, but still, you know, they have to call me to thank me. And number five, Elizabeth W. is a company that makes fantastic, beautiful smelling hand sanitizer spray. And my friend Marsha told me about it. It's a small company based in Northern California, they make about I don't know, a dozen different scents, everything from watermelon to cucumber to lavender. My favorite is orange clove. I have bought so much of it. I give it away. I lose it. I use it. That the owners of the company sent me an email and said, it's so nice to keep getting orders from you. Who are you and how did you find out about us? Well, it turns out that Elizabeth W. products are available in a lot of big stores. You may have seen them. I love them. And I'm not a paid pusher of Elizabeth W., but since I'm in touch with the owner, he said that listeners to this podcast can get a 20% discount. You will see all the details on my website at lisabernbach.com. And now coming up, Dr. Bandy Lee. You've probably seen Dr. Bandy Lee on TV. She's been called on a lot to talk about the mental health of Donald Trump, which in the case of, you know, we all bandy about, no no pun intended, the uh, term narcissist or sociopath or or psychopath, but Most of us don't really know technically what we are saying or what we're accusing this guy of being. But Dr. Lee, you know exactly what those words mean and you know exactly why they pertain to Donald Trump.
0: Yes. uh, Thank you, first of all, Lisa, for having me. Oh, yes. Thank Uh, you for coming. Oh, yes, of course. For most of my career, I've been an academic and clinician. I've, of course, consulted with local and uh, international governments on violence prevention programs, but usually in private. So I never really thought to speak up in public as I have done the last four years now. But Never before had there been a president who so concerned me for the psychological signs that he showed. And I was concerned precisely for the reasons you've stated, uh, signs of pathological narcissism and sociopathy and additional many other signs, but most of all because of his dangerousness and violence proneness, which I was most concerned about as a violence expert. But also when we are concerned about a public figure like this, it's more about their influence on the public. So it's a public health issue, not so much about diagnosing the individual. So uh, so our concerns were In that direction, the societal effects he would have. Well, people have noted since the beginning of his
1: administration, if you could call it that, that he has enabled all the worst aspects of our society hating, violence, cheating. And now, I mean, now what he's doing in questioning not just questioning, but aggressively campaigning to overturn our democratic election. The nastiness that he has unearthed or enabled, is that part of his illness? And does that mean that America has an illness? Well, that's
0: a heavy question. Yeah, I could say that I had been working for the last 20 years of my career in trying to mitigate and lessen the tendencies and psychological injuries really that our society has been suffering. So uh, our public mental health has been declining for quite some time for various reasons. And uh, Donald Trump, in a sense, was being elected to such a position, represented uh, what the country was going through. And so he, sir, the fact that a mentally impaired person would receive enough votes to be elected to such a position indicates or functions as a barometer of our society, in a sense. So he's both representative as well as accelerating of the pathologies in our nation.
1: Well, it must be because there seems to be, number one, uh, an accumulation and an acceleration of anxieties Obviously, the pandemic just exacerbates that, but where every day, every week, one hears about kids who are anxious, school children who are medicated, it does seem like anxiety and depression have reached epidemic proportions as well as
0: the pandemic itself. Oh, yes, absolutely. Since the start of this presidency, we have seen record levels of stress and anxiety, unprecedented in memory and um, this was before the pandemic. Of course, the pandemic, if we were to truly think about it, it is a human-caused, artificially far aggravated plague that did not have to be this bad. And so if we ever get to the point of truly appreciating uh, how devastating this is and how unnecessary it was, it will become all the more difficult to cope with emotionally, psychologically. And of course, the, the the effects of all the losses, the personal losses, the economic devastation that we're feeling at a personal level, and the effects of the, the shutdowns, the extreme, extraordinary, year-long shutdowns that have become necessary because of the president's almost single-handedly worsening and hampering efforts mm-hmm. uh, even to try to mitigate What's uh, what's been going on. I was thinking about Donald Trump as
1: I'm afraid I do way too much and way too frequently. And I told a friend that I thought he was a freak in the sense that he doesn't seem to have human empathy. He doesn't seem to have compassion. While 300,000 Americans have died, he's calling himself a victim. And You know, the things that he screams about would, in a, let's say, healthy human being be considered weaknesses. You know, he he complains when an article is bad. Oh, you're nasty. Oh, you're a terrible reporter. You're so cruel to me. If one is strong and and brave and smart, one doesn't take every little slight as if it were uh, a wrecking ball.
0: Absolutely. He's just such a weirdo. That's one of the reasons why uh, thousands of mental health professionals now and myself have felt the uh, professional responsibility to speak up about what we were seeing because this level of pathology will not be familiar to uh, the lay public. It will essentially be outside of most people's imagination because uh, most people do not deal with mental pathology day in and day out the way professionals do. And, and it's right. really of a severity that belongs in a psychiatric setting, not in a political setting.
1: Was your professional organization at first opposed to your publicly telling the lay world that the president was mentally ill?
0: Yes, uh, uh, very surprisingly so, shockingly so for me, because whereas most people are now being alarmed at the extent and the degree and the bottomlessness of Donald Trump's ability to do damage to the nation, all this was apparent to us on the first day, because Mm. this is the kind of person we deal with on a daily basis. Uh, And for myself, I specialize in violent offenders and persons with personality disorders and uh, especially sociopathy. And therefore, I've treated at least a thousand individuals just like him. And uh, to negate uh, hundreds of years of research evidence, mental health is a is a science-based field, unlike you know most people's imagination, uh, mm. people who uh, think it's a sub- subjective field or a nebulous field. It is not. Despite decades of awareness campaigns of just how serious mental health problems are, just as much as physical health problems and uh, psychiatric diagnoses are just as reliable... Uh, In fact, they're the most reliable among medical diagnoses. And for a psychiatric association to come out and say that mental health professionals have nothing to offer the public and that we were being unethical and that the media should not cover us, and in fact, talking with the media, enlisting the New York Times, they've truly gone to alarming, aggressive extents to silence us. And for them to do so, while it was clear to those in the field that the mental health emergency was truly the number one urgency in the nation that would cause all the other devastating effects, including the inability to succeed in impeaching him, in drawing up a 25th Amendment, in preventing 70 million people now to uh, continue to support him and be gaslit and misled and and be unmoored from reality, which is the effect of his pathology spreading. Mm -hmm. They, above all, should have known this. But in fact, they acted more like an arm of the government and basically went on misinformation campaigns to prevent the public from having access to expertise, uh, the knowledge that we had to share. And I don't think that's a natural phenomenon because we were clearly called upon, as you were saying, we were in the news a lot, uh, not just myself, I just gathered people who were and um, we were successful. Since our New York Times best-selling book, *The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump*, within a couple of months, we were able to raise the issue as the number one topic of national conversation. And it was within two or three weeks of the APA intervening that we were completely shut down from the major media. That is, and uh, and it was a truly aggressive intervention. I often compare it to the Attorney General's coming in mm. ahead of the Mueller report to lie that it exonerated him. And it was very hard for the report to gain gain traction after that. And the APA intervening and speaking as a professional organization, when its conflicts of interest now make it obvious they cannot be, stating that we were unethical and uh, not to be listened to, uh, it took us out of the media altogether. And
1: it makes no sense since you're trying to... Um protect the nation's collective mental health. And you would think the APA
0: was doing that as well. That's um, right. Ba- oh, that's, Bandy, when, when I just you talk... Oh, yes, please. I just wanted to say that society is one of our primary responsibilities. We have a primary duty to protect public health, the way we have a primary duty to our patients. And uh, so they try to say that we have a responsibility to public figures. We don't. Uh, That is not our primary responsibility, uh, which is our duty to patients and society.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the field of public mental health is one that you've been in for your career. And that's a real Unfortunately, maybe a burgeoning area of investigation. I wanted to ask you you said that you've treated about a thousand people like Donald Trump. In order to be treated or to be treated successfully, doesn't a patient have to acknowledge that there is
0: a problem first? Yes, that's the first step. So those with uh, uh, the deficiencies that Donald Trump is showing ordinarily do not present themselves. They're usually brought in by the correctional system or uh, by the police or by family members who can no longer deal with them. And their treatment is often involuntary. So the first step of treatment is containment and limit setting. So not to give them more power, more access to weapons, uh, more authority, these things are actually catastrophic with these individuals. And so you first try to protect them from themselves as well as the public and those around them by containing them. And they have to prove little by little that they they are capable of staying safe. And uh, it's... The treatment of these individuals, although none of us give up on anybody and those who specialize in treating them will always say that there is something something that we can do uh, always and and so we don't uh, ever declare them untreatable unless they're no longer alive, but it's very difficult. So the treatment really should be in prevention in preventing them from causing harm, preventing them from gaining access to power and weapons and changing conditions in society so that they do not arise in the first place. I actually prefer the the term sociopathy to psychopathy, which is often used and more individual-based because sociopathy is actually society-created. In other Mm -hmm. words, it's a personality disorder that comes about um, and has been increasing uh, because of the way that we have decided to arrange our society. What about the people who are
1: enabling this ill and unable and disabled person? What about the Mitch McConnells and the Lindsey Grahams and, in particular, as you mentioned, the William Bars? Does their behavior reflect their own mental instability, or is it something else?
0: Yes, I have often used the phrase shared psychosis, although it's a misnomer because you do not have to have psychosis to have shared psychosis. But it does speak to the level of uh, synchrony and accentuation that shared pathology brings about. It's not like a shared goal or a shared ideology, Uh, It's far more intense and powerful when it's shared pathology. So Donald Trump may not have caused these pathologies in these individuals, but he has certainly emboldened them, strengthened them, and brought out their symptoms uh, in ways that not having such a, uh, a similarly impaired president would have done. So they probably had shared pathologies to begin with, Uh, predisposing psychologies that would have made them so even if they were not before, but also there's Mm -hmm. transmission of symptoms. If you have someone who is severely impaired and goes untreated in an influential position, his symptoms actually get spread to healthy individuals and get spread among the population. Uh, This has been well documented in intimate settings. Uh, It's uh, and the older term is folie à deux, um, madness in two, folie à deux, trois, quatre, it could be uh, folie à groupe in a group, uh, folie à famille uh-huh. in a family, or folie à million has been described for when it occurs in nations. Um, so much more than the ordinary social psychology and group psychology we see when there's actual pathology, it spreads rapidly like a viral pandemic. And wow, uh, that's the part that I've tried to highlight because in our individualized culture, we often overlook those influences, but they are powerful when they are. Wowie, wowie,
1: Dr. Bandy Lee, this is extraordinary stuff. You know, it's one thing to think it, but I'm not trained as you are and I'm not a scholar as you are, and to hear you say it, it just, it's it's chilling. Um, you have a new article published this week in the DCReport.org, Why Biden Needs to Throw the Book at Trump, which you've written with a colleague, James Merakangas. And you begin with the fact that America needs to heal and we need to move forward, but yet, and I have to say, reading your article, you convinced me 100% that Biden needs to prosecute Donald Trump.
0: Yes, I have said so because that is the proper treatment procedure for these pathological personalities. Um, that is why I've often said that when you have a condition that is this severe, you need Professionals. Um, if someone were having a heart attack, you would not say, uh, I will treat the person instead because it's a politician, or you would not recruit a politician to treat the person because it happens to be the president. When You're it's right. a medical problem, you have to bring in the appropriate specialist. So as a mental health professional, I do not intrude myself in every situation, but when the situation calls for it, uh, I do say so, and this is a situation where it calls for it. So I have noted that this is a circumstance where the ordinary approaches of um, conciliatory gestures, uh, wishing to reach across the aisle and to uh, bypass the law in order to prioritize national unity. These kinds of approaches are nice and good, but do not apply in this situation. Because these personalities, as we have seen with Donald Trump and his cronies already, that they actually uh, use others' um, concessions and allowances to expand their subculture of violence and abuse that actually worsen the, the... Others' right. relationships with them and, and do not allow for conciliation to occur. So, and, and if there's no sort of punishment
1: meted out, then the wannabe Donald Trumps who are growing and using him as a role model can um, sort of rise unimpeded.
0: That is right. They they see it. They take it as a license to further their transgressions, and um, they see you as weak and unworthy of their relating with you. And so, clear boundaries and limit setting, which prosecution serves to do, actually gains their respect and allows for a better outcome. The idea that. Donald Trump is fomenting a civil
1: war in order to protect himself when we know all he wants is not to help the country in a second term. He's never, ever uh, explained any vision, as it were, for a second term. It's all about staying out of jail or staying out of trouble.
0: That's right. His realm of thinking and focus is entirely of a different paradigm than what we would think of. Right. So the 70 million people who are still Team Trump,
1: they will be outraged by his punishment, but they will also be
0: outraged if he's not punished. Well, we have to do this uh, against their protests because currently they are not well-informed, self-interested actors who are uh, acting in healthy, life-affirming ways. In fact, they are severely controlled and conditioned in ways that are damaging themselves. They are, in fact, doing this against their interest uh, right. uh, and against their livelihoods and even their lives. Uh, look at the rally he held in Georgia over the weekend, where they're tightly packed, unmasked, and uh, chanting uh, four more years. Four more years. Do you think... Think that there is a piece of Donald
1: Trump that wants his people, his followers, to be dead?
0: Uh, I think that's actually a very perceptive statement because uh, most people would not go there, would not go as far, but that would actually be accurate for his psychology. Gee whiz! You had mentioned before that he's lacking of human characteristics such as empathy, and I have often tried to underscore this because they thrive on other people's assumption that people are like other human beings, that they would have these characteristics. But he is, uh, in fact, of of a disposition where he. Um, he does not, and and he certainly has a lot of envy for other people. So that's where the jealousy and the cruelty come in. And would he rather have people dead? Uh, that's that's that is that would be where he is.
1: Wow! Finally, before we get to your five things and bring this conversation to a happier place, Bandy, is there as uh, any sense that? When people say, "Oh, he knows better. He just is doing this," or they know what they're doing, um, but it feels like he is intoxicated and has no control. To me,
0: well, there uh, other there people are. think
1: he's he's. He, when I say he's not very bright, they say, "Oh, he's 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 you know foxy. He's smarter than you think. He's the best marketer in the world. Blah blah blah." I think you have to fall for it to find him appealing as a marketer or, yes, or there's competent. Also,
0: there's also the uh, effectiveness, if you will, in some ways, of pathology. Uh, so if we're allowing the mental pathology to run rampant, just like the pandemic, it's going to overtake healthy drives and healthy life because uh, simply because of its toxicity. I often compare... Mental pathology to a car without working brakes, um, mm-hmm. it will seem faster and able to get somewhere uh, more efficiently than a car with fully functioning brakes at first, because it can't stop. But at the end of uh, at the end of the road, at the bottom of the hill, it will inevitably crash. So that's why pathology is so dangerous, because it will be far more effective at. Uh, stoking and uh, whipping up fervent, irrational support, but it comes from a place of pathology and not uh, rational choice, which uh, makes it very dangerous in a political setting. Yeah. I would like to just add an, uh, a positive note. Uh, the extraordinary rallying of the American population, as I described Having a mentally impaired person, uh, a severely impaired person in an influential position is highly damaging to the psyche of the nation, to our ability to see right from wrong, uh, health from pathology. Uh, It demoralizes us and takes over our minds, as I said, uh, like an infection. But in spite of that, we still preserve the vote. And we did, the, the people did procure this election. And I wasn't sure that this would happen because of the psychological no. effects. But the electorate um, stepped in where all the other authorities have failed and the interventions that were necessary. It's truly unconscionable to have left a serious psychiatric intervention to the general public uh, to do it through uh, simple voting. But it has. And <laughs> it wasn't so simple as it turns out. Yes, you're right. You're right. And and that's and, not to be undermined. I, I think and I think that part is still winning. So uh, so I think I would like to encourage people to to be proud of that and to nurture that to safeguard it until we're all the way through, uh, and to take care of themselves in the meantime, because they are our true resource of health.
1: Bandy, I have 2,000 questions with every answer of yours. Uh,
0: Is Rudy Giuliani mentally ill too? Well, I usually say I haven't investigated all public figures to the extent that I have Donald Trump, and it takes me a lot more to do so, but I can right. talk about the general phenomenon of shared psychosis. Uh, of Many individuals have been remarked by their peers and those who know them well that they're not the person they knew the person to be. They may have had predispositions to start. That is why they were vulnerable, but they're certainly not who they expected they would be with this presidency and that those are examples of shared psychosis where right. uh, the transmission of a symptom uh, of symptoms of the primary individual induces the secondary individual to appear as if they have the same disorder as the primary individual and the good news is that a lot of this will also dissipate when the influence of Donald Trump is gone that doesn't mean the delusions will fix themselves past delusions may not be uh, correctable, but but the emotional force and pressures that have made people look uh, basically crazy will uh, will diminish to a great degree. I mean, there are lots of other things that also need to be done, but that would be the first step.
1: Wow, very very good. Okay, to whip us up into a wonderful mood, your list of five things that make life better for you is wonderful I've been I've been listening to the music that you love prior to doing this interview um, your list is terrific um, I will I will say the number and then you can say who and what it is this is your list of five things that make life better for you Dr. Bandy Lee number one you told me Rembrandt's.
0: Yes, I was a little shy that I couldn't make a list a little more wittier or <laughs> lighthearted. Oh, no, it, doesn't,
1: it doesn't need to be lighthearted. It needs to be just true.
0: Yes, that is the truth. I find refuge in Rembrandt's. And there is a gallery in the Metropolitan Museum where I simply have lived since my teenage years. And that's the Rembrandt Room. It has a self-portrait of him aristotle with a bust of homer of homer and Uh and a portrait of Hendrikje stoffels his lover and they they to me exemplify uh humanity and and also uh i have to mention my trip to the hermitage in saint petersburg um wow the return of uh the prodigal son. So I remember that painting through these other paintings and just the humanity in his paintings, the, the fully lived life, uh, a life full of compassion and fellow feeling with other human beings and the ups and downs of life that are described in these paintings uh, allow me to, to live the rest of life. Oh, Bandy,
1: that's beautiful.
0: Oh, thank you. Did you
1: study art history in college?
0: I'm a painter. Ah. So I spent days sketching in that Rembrandt room as well as copied a number of his paintings. And other people have said, you know, you should switch the paintings. So I guess for that (laughs) to be suggested, (laughs) they must have resembled them.
1: Wow. Yes, his faces really are lives lived. So beautiful. Mm. Uh, next, your number two was Bach's Chacon.
0: Yes. So that would be the musical version of Rembrandt. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I I actually paint in abstract and paint after music. Uh, and his Partita number two for solo violin, which where the where contains the Chacon, is one of my favorites, and that is an expression of life's ups and downs as well. Uh, he, it is thought that the timing of his composition makes it about the wife that he lost. He lost his first wife when he was on a musical tour, and when he came home, he found that she was gone, and he was quite melancholy for a while, and that's when he composed the chaconne, which is very deeply feeling, and you can feel his love for his wife.
1: Yes, it's very, very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Number three, meditation.
0: Yes, so uh, despite my public appearances and uh, lack of hesitation in speaking about all manners of the president's mental health and (laughs) um, my uh, leading a large organization of mental health professionals, I'm, I'm... actually more of a solitary and contemplative disposition. So I spend a lot of time meditating. And for me, it's very nourishing because it allows me to have a nonverbal connection to all things, all living things, eternal things, and uh, it's my way of escaping. I've worked a career, wor- uh, a career of working in prisons, treating violent offenders and doing a lot of work in brutal places such as the inner city. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, this has been the counterpart that has allowed me to keep myself grounded. My goodness, do you have a regular schedule for
1: your practice, or does it, or are you able to go to that meditative place whenever you like?
0: Yes, actually, I am an oblate uh, to a monastery, which means ah. that I do practice in lay life and in worldly life what they do in the monastery. So I have my prayer hours, and I know that you also are a graduate of divinity school.
1: Yes, that's right. Uh, That seems like such a beautiful combination, actually. It has Um, helped me.
0: It has helped me personally more than I imagined. At the time, I was thinking I would complement my medical education of the body and mind with a study of the soul. And it has helped me greatly to treat patients and prisoners who are in very dire situations in their lifetimes and so seek these mm -hmm. levels. But... Uh, but also for myself, I think it adds a great level of depth and, and allows us to connect with a realm larger than ourselves and see that our lives are beyond uh, just our personal lives. Well, and
1: you have such a soothing way. I feel like uh, I'm, I'm being hugged right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't help but thinking that you have elevated my way of thinking, too. You make me feel good and safe,
0: which leads to number four, human thriving. Yes, I am in the healing business because human health and human thriving are so beautiful to me, Uh, the human potential, and nurturing it and uh, helping each individual or society attain these things is for me such a worthwhile goal and gift in my life. I get this also from my mother and my grandfather, who were also healers. And they were also healers of society. They were highly socially conscious. And this is what I take after them and have taken after them even more uh, when the urgency of the Trump presidency came about. Also, we see how justice can play a role in uh, nurturing human beings. And uh, what we're seeing is what we have seen accentuated with this presidency is the psychological injury that has happened from mm-hmm. the socioeconomic inequities and unjust arrangements in society. But that also points to just how much justice can do to our psychological well-being and spiritual mm-hmm. well-being. And so uh, that's all a part of it. And I would also add that uh, the camaraderie that I've had in these endeavors uh, have been also uh, incredibly nurturing and valuable to me. The wonderful people I have met along the way of uh, our efforts, um, uh, which have sometimes seemed lonely, but, but in the background, there have been many supports. I'd also like to mention Dr. Gerald Post, Former CIA profiler, who uh, is a prominent person who put his name on the line and has contributed to our efforts at a sacrifice to to himself, and he has passed away recently. Uh, and I wrote a oh. tribute to him. But just many of these people in the backgrounds.
1: Yes, it's not just you, and it's not just the other doctors you've um, you've elicited to. Do your work. That is that is for sure. But yes, and as also you know so well. It's just person by person, aha moment by aha moment, patient by patient,
0: and members of the public as well.
1: Yes, uh, yes. the public
0: has just been wonderful. In their uh, support of us, their hunger for knowledge, uh, the constant messages they send through our website. Our website is dangerouscase.org, and they have said all the way through, you know, where are the psychiatrists? Where are the psychologists? And and have been uh, so uh, involved and interested and such a great. Audience as well as um, implementers of of the things that we have said and and tried to share, and so I um, I have enormous gratitude to the average American uh, person who has acted in their own ways to improve our nation, and, and truly are the heroes of this whole uh, endeavor.
1: It will be an amazing thing to reflect on in. 10 years
0: when yes.
1: or some point when we can.
0: Um, and your number five is learning to cook with your niece. Yes, that's right. My eight-year-old niece is turning me around in ways that I never thought would ever happen in my lifetime because uh, <laughs> she often makes fun of me because she says she knows of another person who, uh, who's only... Uh, knowledge of cooking is to do scrambled eggs, and that is Eleanor Uh Roosevelt. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that anecdote, but... But uh, it's true that I uh, am a total klutz in the kitchen. And uh, most people have usually said before holidays and stuff, you know, getting out of the way is helping. And Uh right. (laughs) But my eight year old niece has uh, taken up cooking as a hobby and is actually very talented in it. And so now I am her sous chef. Oh,
1: that's wonderful. That's that's wonderful. I guess that's that's one positive that's come out of this uh, shutdown is that we're all sort of having to cook much more than we ever thought we would be doing. Yes. Bandy Lee, it's been a true privilege talking to you and hearing about your work. And I really want to thank you for not only giving me the time, but for American changing work that you have done yourself in the last four years it's been so meaningful and so important
0: thank you so much and thank you for this opportunity and for all the good work that you are doing mm. well thank you for that
1: you've been listening to five things that make life better with me lisa Birnbach. my guest this week has been dr bandy x lee forensic psychiatrist and editor of The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. You can follow Bandy on Twitter at BandyXLee1 or her website at BandyLee.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. And rate, review us on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen, because each positive review brings new listeners to our show. My blog is at lisabernbach.com, where you'll find links and photos to all the things we discussed. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Spresso, Rucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, please wear a mask and act natural. Bye-bye.
0: That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.